Gang, for over a year now, I've been talking about True Hemp Science Full Spectrum CBD oils and how they've reduced my anxiety and helped me get better sleep without waking up feeling foggy and confused. I've also talked about the Full Spectrum CBD bombs that relieved my hand pain last year and made playing piano and guitar much easier. Well, gang, today I'm going to tell you about True Hemp Science organic gummies made with full spectrum hemp oil that are available now. They come in two different gauges. There are five, uh, 50 milligram ones that have 50 milligrams of CBD and 1.5 milligrams of THC. Then there are ones that are 100 milligrams of CBD and 5 milligrams of THC. Absolutely delicious uh, lemon lime slash orange flavors and also watermelon black cherry flavors. Super, super delicious. Now, now, they also have a complete line of full-spectrum CBD products, including oils, tinctures, skincare lotions, sports rubs, chocolates, gummies, all kinds of stuff. Well, gang, How Did I Get Here has teamed up with True Hemp Science to bring you a very special offer that benefits all of us. Spend $100 or more at TrueHempScience.com and you will get a free gift. Just enter the code HDIGH at checkout. There's a little code place there for you to enter it. H-D-I-G-H and you will get a free gift with purchase. That's right. Go to TrueHempScience.com and balance your body and mind with True Hemp Science. Let's get down. Hey gang, I want to make a quick announcement. Since we started this podcast in 2011, only the last 20 episodes have been available on the streaming services. You had to go back to the Podbean app or to the website, howdidigethere.podbean.com to access past the 20 last 20 episodes. Well, gang, big surprise. As of now, the last 100 episodes are available on all streaming sites. That includes the From the Vault episodes. All of the episodes, the last 100 episodes from this episode back are available now on all streaming services, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast. Go there. Whichever one you're subscribed to, whichever one you use the most, go subscribe to How Did I Get Here. Follow us, rate us, leave us a comment if you can. And, uh, and check out the episodes, man. Get out there and enjoy the last 100 episodes of How Did I Get Here on your favorite streaming services. Let's get down. You may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? It's time for... How did I get here? And now here is your host. I'm Bobby. Where we talk. All right. Hello. I'm Johnny. I'm your host. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys have all had a good week, whatever it is you did during the week. How are you coping with the crazy news going on 24-7 now? I mean, my heart goes out to the people of Israel after that brutal Hamas attack over the weekend and now there's a full-blown war going on there just bombing left and right life being lost every day awfully sad awful uh earthquake in afghanistan a few days ago that i just read about that claimed the lives of a couple thousand people awful news we have insane weird political unrest here that we don't really need to have but for some reason it's shoved down our throats 24 7 we have no speaker of the house there's just basically what i'm saying is there's a lot coming at you 24 7 i hope that you're dealing with it with it okay you know what i found to be a great uh a great release a great a great medicine a great healing practice 
I went to go see Restos on Wednesday. They did an in-store at Waterloo Records. I don't know when the last time you went to an in-store at Waterloo Records if you live in Austin. But they sound fucking great. Who, the guy that's running sound there, I've told him a couple times. I've been to a couple this year that have just blown my mind how good they sound. They're amazing. People should make recordings. I'm not joking. They should make recordings out of that and sell them at the place in EPs and, and then have a, a thing and raise money for charity. I'm going to tell them that. Anyway, Restos, my friend Graham Weber and his band. They used to be called Western Youth. Graham was on the show a few months ago. I want to say it was like five or six months ago. I don't know, back in like February or March. He had an event out at Hotspot and I went out to it. And he talked about this record, Ain't Dead Yet, which is available now wherever it is you stream and download music. Also available on vinyl, which they sell there at Waterloo. You can probably find it at their website. I don't have their website on hand, but just look up restosband.com. Fucking great band. Great songs. Graham is a great songwriter. The band sounds great. Brian, they didn't have a backup singer. Usually Jamie Harris or Jane Ellen Bryant or somebody is up there singing with them in a lady fashion. Brian handled the backing vocals. The drummer just fucking nailed it. Great. Sammy P on the keys, one of my favorite keyboard players around, just killing it. And they just sounded great. The songs are great. And I just love Graham. I love his music. His beautiful daughter came up and introduced them. I wish I would have gotten that on video. I got a photo of it, but I, it wasn't, it wasn't enough. I'll put a photo of it on my, on my, uh, on the, how did I get here? Facebook page. Cause it was really cute. She was wearing sunglasses and she said her dad was a really great music guy. That's what she called him. He's a great music guy. Yeah. I thought, anyway, I thought that was great. Um, anyway, it was a great show and it lifted my spirits and made me forget about everything that was happening around the world, which made me think that today, uh, not the day that this podcast comes out, but the day that I'm doing this intro, which is the day before, I am going to have a very ambitious day where I'm doing this at like eight in the morning. I have skyrocket rehearsal at 11. I'm going to meet my friend Ian Moore for coffee. And then I'm going to try and make it to this uh, Leon the Third like filming a special filming show thing. I don't know. They're playing a show and they're filming it at Howler Brothers. And so I'm going to go to that a little later. And then I'm going to try and make it to my friend Michael Boer's show, Boer over at uh, Mohawk at like 1130 at night. Who Why are people still playing at 1130 at night so late? I'm going to try and make it though. I'm going to try and stay up. My birthday is tomorrow, Friday, uh, Saturday, October 14th. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> I'm playing in San Antonio there. If you live in San Antonio, come on out to Sam's Burger Joint to see Skyrocket Saturday, October 14th. Always a good time. You can find us at skyrocketthebandcom uh, and, and find out, uh, find out how to get tickets and stuff for the show. Sorry about that. I just had a little brain fart cause I'm getting old. <laughs> anyway, uh, today's the day that this drops. It's Friday, October 13th. I would like to wish my friend Todd Wolfson a happy birthday. He was just on the show a couple weeks ago with our friend Lance Schreiner. Uh, uh, one or the other is the name of that episode. You can go back there and listen to it, but it's his birthday today. Tomorrow I'll be 55. Can you believe that? 55 years old. God damn, that's old. Sounds old to me. Does that sound old to you? Is 55 old? <laughs> it's old, man. It's weird. Yeah. Oh, well, well, I'll be doing what I love on my birthday. I'll be up there playing on the stage at Sam's with my with my brothers and sister in Skyrocket playing for fans that that love the band and just having a good old fashioned American good time. I don't know why I had to add American to that. Gang, I have a great show for you today. I have a fantastic, fantastic show for you today. Singer, songwriter, artist, uh, tour manager, 
Jesse Daniel Edwards is my guest on the show today. He has a brand new record out called Violencia. It's a piano rock album. Absolutely fantastic. Like this operatic level, uh, dramatic album that I just fell in love with and is one of my favorite records of the year. Could very well be my favorite record of the year. Tune in towards the end of the year and I'll let you know what my favorite one is. It was produced by legendary producer uh, Joe Ciccarelli, who's worked with the White Stripes. Uh, so many, so many fucking artists. You can find Joe Ciccarelli actually has a great podcast that's on YouTube. Uh, he's a legendary producer and engineer, fantastic creative man. He ended up working on this record. And uh, Jesse, let me just tell you this. Jesse and I actually had a conversation, I don't know, five, six weeks ago. And I was about to put it out and I went to listen to it to familiarize myself with it. And I remembered it, it being kind of weird sounding on his end. But our connection was bad. Uh, not, not spiritually. We had a great connection. We became bros right away, exchanged phone numbers and everything bros. But, uh, the audio just was so bad. I didn't think people would want to listen to it. And I really wanted people to connect with this artist. He's an amazing, amazing artist with an amazing story. Uh, Anyway, we did it again. I reached out to him and I was like, hey, do you mind doing this again? And he was like, yeah, no problem. He also sent me a vinyl copy of Violencia, which sounds fucking great on vinyl. If you want to get vinyl, go to jessedanieledwards.net. He doesn't have any shows on the book right, books right now, but he's going out with his brother's band. His brother is L.A. Edwards. He'll be out touring with him. But man, Jesse and I have an incredible conversation about how he grew up in a small uh, California town with no TV in a religious household uh, and, and didn't really find music or secular music until later in his life, until he got in his teens and stuff. But he's a really prolific songwriter. And at one point, he stepped down from music after going out and uh, and trying to make it big in the world. <laughs> Uh, and, and just kind of like stepped down and went and taught music out of camp for a while until, uh, until he was drawn back into playing music again in a magical way. Really, really great conversation. Really interesting cat. He ended up tour managing a bunch of bands, uh, people like Morrissey, Jason Isbell, Lucinda Williams. He was tour manager to all these people and got inspired and learned all this stuff about music from these guys. And he's got a really interesting perspective. He's got a very calm view of, he's not frantically like, oh, look at me, look at me, look at me. He's just making art and he's doing stuff and he's going out and he's playing with his brother and he's doing what he can. And he's one of those people that's kind of been through the difficult part of this business, but now is just stretching out creatively, doing what he can do uh, to make his music the best it can be. His song's the best they can be. This album, Violencia, is fucking great. Get out there and check it out. As I said, I think it's one of my favorite records of the year. So uh, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with this amazing artist, Jesse Daniel Edwards. Let's get down. I've been all around the world And guess what? It's all the same you could see it all from the window of the plane And I've had so many flames And been burned by so many flames Guess what a twin bed is plenty of space At the end of the day And the truth is I lied When I said I was fine so happy I think I might cry Well, I just got back to Nashville. Um, I was in Seattle the last time you and I spoke. Right. And uh, I ended up, so I was babysitting because my little nieces and nephew, they're five, 
needed a babysitter last minute for a week. So I was with them. And then my brother got back with his wife and we were recording in the studio. So I was out there for like almost three weeks. And, uh, I ended up leaving a little bit earlier though, because the whole dang album that my brother's recording just disappeared. It's just gone. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. And they did a whole data recovery thing. They checked out, like, it was just, it was just gone. And like, the, of course it was like a perfect storm, the automatic backup, uh, just wasn't backing up. And so they pulled, and it was just, it, it's, it's, a, it's a massive mystery. I mean, it's just, there's nowhere, there's no trace of it anywhere. God, that's the whole awful. album. There's like nine songs. Yeah, it was terrible. So I, I just kind of flew back. I was like, man, I, we're, we're talking about maybe starting sessions again. We're like, ah, let's just revisit in a few months after tour. What are you, you're working on his record? I was working on his record. Yep. Okay. And He's a musician too. And does a band and tours and stuff. Are you, are you about to go on tour? I, uh, let's see. I am, I'm going to port. I'm actually flying back to Portland in a few days. Yeah. That's what I thought. I do it. Yeah. East kind of doing an East West, just back and forth. And then, then I go out with my brother's band, uh, to tour after that for something like six weeks, kind of a long one. Wow. What do you do in your brother's band? Well, I've played everything in that band over the years, just kind of whoever needs uh, a fill-in, but currently I'm on guitar. Okay. And um, as if I remember, you played guitar and piano on this record? That's the, yeah, that's right. Okay, all right. Uh, Violencia, amazing album. I've had a chance to listen. I actually sent it, sent the link to it after we talked last time to a bunch of my friends, and um, man, they loved it, too. Oh, cool, man. Thanks for spreading the word. Yeah, no really problem, man. That. No problem. It's so, uh, it's funny. It's so epic. And going through your other stuff, your other stuff is fantastic. It's great. There's just this sort of operatic level to this record. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think as a, as a, as an artist or as a songwriter, who's not maybe concerned or not necessarily aiming at commercial endeavors, you kind of open yourself up more to instead of trying to craft and create, you're just, you're really just trying to open yourself up and stand up your own way and just let things channel through you. I mean, everyone all the way back to box has, has similar stories where they're not motivated necessarily by financial success or commercial visibility. It's kind of like, well, the goal then becomes, how can I just maintain a lifestyle and a mentality that is just, you know, kind of conducive to this open, channel of communication from wherever inspiration comes from. So I, I have for a while now been sort of out of the commercial game of music. Not, not that I was ever, I was always at most maybe a couple toes in and sort of reluctantly, <laughs> but I'm sort of out, I've been out completely now for some time, which is, has enabled me to just get more and more free about discovering my own art. And it, I feel more like a minor, you know, than, a, than any sort of craft person. You know, I, I'm, I don't feel like I'm creating anything. I think I'm just discovering things. And it's funny because I listen to some artists and uh, you can definitely hear where the, where the, the impulse lies, you know, when it's a commercial endeavor or when they they're able, only able to discover maybe one or two things very deeply or, or not at all, or when they approach something and then they back away. For me, it's like, I, I keep finding new things in my voice to do. I keep finding new things on this same old piano that I've been playing since I was four or five years old. It, it's still provides new explorations that can still do new things. The instrument hasn't changed. I, I fundamentally haven't even changed. I mean, I, I knew music 
I, I knew about, I knew probably more about music when I was 12 than I know now. I mean, and, and that sounds anachronistic, but some of that stuff has been forgotten. You know, some of that stuff has been sort of left by the wayside simply just from not being used, not right. being accessed as, as memory is. And so I think I'm just in sort of a stream of consciousness, perpetual sort of present tense discovery. And I feel more like I'm just sort of chipping away at, at this endless mountain range and there's all kinds of things to discover. And it's not really discovering anything about myself. It's not even discovering anything about, uh, playing any of these specific instruments. It, it's a, some, some deeper artistic concept, some, some deeper set of artistic ideals, but I, I keep discovering things. And I think, you know, if I go back through all of the recordings I've done as I've gotten older and as I've gotten more and more free, I mean, even if I listen to the very first recording I ever did, it has, there's a through line, which is kind of like if a miner keeps a journal, like, oh yeah, well the old pickaxe broke today, you know, time to get a new one. But you're not, you're also just, you know, describing, oh, I found a, a cave of emeralds as well and I have no idea what to do with it or what it even is. Right. So it's kind of like each one is so distinctly different to my ear. But then if you listen to it all together, you can kind of hear that, oh yeah, it's the same guy sort of chipping away at something. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's sort of a... a when you when you when you had these songs, did you have these songs together and send like the demos to Joe Ciccarelli? Is that how he got involved? I had the demos of just me on the uh, piano solo, and I kind of just wrote all the songs uh, at once. They all came out together as once or at once, which is sort of the case often, I think, for a lot of artists. And as as I can kind of equate it to. You know, if you like, there's in my back room here, there are two windows, and the, the wall is at the angle where these windows meet is at 90 degrees. So they're, they're showing different sides of the neighborhood. And I have this thing where, you know, as the season change, I'll kind of sit with one cheek up against the one wall, and I'll look out one window and I'll shift. And I can't, I, I look for the ways in which it's the same neighborhood, but I can also trick myself into believing I'm looking at two different universes. And, you know, so I think that's what, you know, when you get a blurb of songs, you're kind of trying to look at one thing that's happened in your life or one thing you've observed or even some subtle thing that you've felt in a dream, but you're sort of evaluating it from every angle. And so that's why you get sort of 10 songs out together that kind of go together. And I think maybe it even gave rise to the narrative form of the album, you know, the, the, the long playing album form, you know, maybe to some extent, I don't know if my history is correct there, but it's certainly a romanticized idea of that. But I in any case... Uh, and it's funny because as people's attention spans have shortened in modern times, you know, the album, while not becoming obsolete, has certainly become uh, more of a, of a novel prospect. But uh, I, had, I had these demos and I sent them to uh, my dear friend, collaborator, uh, I'm the godfather to her son, a, dr a drummer named Katie in uh, Alabama. She lives in Huntsville from Decatur. And, uh, we got to talking about how, you know, if it was ever time to record them and, uh, you know, she'd love to play drums and she, she's like a jazz drummer kind of background, but plays in like a lot of hard rock metal type bands, really an interesting sort of, uh, artistic phenomenon, a amazing feel, amazing, uh, chops, uh, amazing sensibilities. I think she plays hard rock drums as a jazz drummer might, or maybe vice versa, <laughs> but she, uh, you know, so I kind of, I kind of tucked that away. Uh, my longtime collaborator, Lauren Farah, who's on most of the things I do is sort of an infrequent roommate. She, 
you know, she tours as well doing various things. And so we often are like ships passing in the night, but she just, it happened to be a season where she happened to be living here. So it was as easy as kind of just swooping her up. Katie drove up and we went to my friend's place, uh, 10, four studios here. We tracked down the basic, uh, tracks, just drums and piano kind of in one afternoon. And then we were so exhausted, you know, by the end of it, uh, I think we were just, we went into some sort of fugue state where we weren't even really consciously present or presently conscious, but we sort of let it sit for a minute. I came back in the next day and I heard all of these different sort of lines, kind of classical lines. Like if you listen to like what violins and violas might be doing in a, in a symphony or a, in a quartet or ensemble, I heard the guitar, which is, which is often the case of lead guitar in modern music, right. but I, I it sort of inherited that, that sort of melodic heritage, you know, that, that ability to sort of tie things together rhythmically and in a legato sense, kind of counter to the melody or reinforcing the melody, you know, also texturally and tonally. So I, I heard all of that just, I don't know, I, I didn't have to sit down and pick it. I just heard it. So I kind of laid that, that down in just a few hours. And then, uh, I was kind of, I added some bass here and there, but you know, the piano is such a bass heavy instrument that it didn't always need it. And, uh, that was basically it. It kind of sat there for a while and I was talking to Joe Ciccarelli about something else. Uh, we're talking about maybe some tour thing or what he, I think we're just catching up what he had been up to. And the record came up and he wanted to hear it. And, uh, I sent him some tracks and, and he just said, Hey, send it over. And, uh, so I sent it over to him and then Lord and I went out to sunset sound and we kind of sat there in his little mix studio. And, um, it, it, it was, I, I didn't even recognize it uh, after he'd been done with that. And he took about a week to do it. And I, I didn't even remember a lot of the parts that I played. I didn't remember a lot of the, the sensibility. Not that a lot of time had, had passed, but it was just so different it, it, in a sense from the original recording. I mean, that being said, there's only a handful of tracks, you know, instruments played on each song. So it's not like anything's been drastically edited or, you know, nothing's, you know, auto tuned. None of that's, none of that's occurred, but it's, it's like, he somehow made it more of what it was. He somehow was able to, you know, extract the, and, and just sort of make bigger this, whatever this was. And I was shocked. And I think, you know, a part of why I hadn't really been necessarily too keen to do anything with the recording, apart from the usual reasons and that I'm never really too keen to, I don't really feel any pressure to put anything out or, or ever release anything in my opinion. Uh, you know, if you sing in your living room, you quote unquote, put something out into the universe, into the air, you know, sometimes that's enough. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I have been encouraged by people to share, you know, uh, Denny, uh, Cavity Search Records and, uh, Jim and Josh over at, uh, my, my publicist office here, All Eyes Media, they, they, they've been great sort of encouragers to me and sort of de facto managers, but, but mainly sort of cheerleaders, you know, they, they've encouraged me to share, uh, any of it. So that's the only reason I put anything out. But a big reason why with Valencia is, you know, I had this sort of, without even really knowing it, I had sort of had this grand sound in my head, but I was like, well, it's only operating as a three piece. You know, I was like, how can I make Nirvana meet sort of Queen or, or meet sort of Mozart, you know, right, right. Meet sort of Bach, you know, which is kind of, I, kind of what I was hearing in my head because I'm, I'm fans of all of those bands. And I didn't, I did discover those bands, young enough in my own life where they shaped who I would forever be. But I did, they did, I did 
discover them at a very fun age. You know, I was sort of late teens. I was maybe 18, 19, 20. Right. And, and it was kind of like, it wasn't necessarily a pivotal time artistically. It wasn't like a foundational or, or formational time, but it was kind of, it was kind of a, I really just enjoyed it, you know, from the surface down instead of the way up. And as such, you know, I kind of, those ideas are floating around in there somewhere. And I've always had elements of those things and stuff that I've done, but I really wanted to kind of just lean into it and see how far I could push it. And, and I was just intrigued by discovering that operatic element. Right, right. And, but when I heard the board mixes after we were done with it, you know, we only had the budget to do it in two days. And so we we're kind of just moving so quick. So I didn't really have time to process it. But when I heard the board mixes back, you know, they're board mixes. I don't, I don't, yeah, everybody knows, you know, that you can't really judge anything by that. But I was kind of like, well, you know, I don't know if it really got anywhere that I wanted it to get. Not that I had a clear vision, but I had a clear feeling, clear enough. And I was kind of, I was like, well, I don't know. It, it was fun to just do it, you know, and, and I don't, I don't know if we need to pursue it any further. And it was so weird. It was so disjointed. It was so discombobulated. It was like, there, it, none, of the, none of it seemed to flow at all together. It was like, you'd hear this song at one moment be just a crash of dissonance and, and just this pure cacophony. And then the next moment it was just trying to aim at this sort of sweet melodic yeah. and harmonic <laughs> yeah, yeah, chorus. Yeah. But, the, but then the chorus would pass in like 20 seconds. I'd be like, well, I, I just don't know if there's anything here that anyone's going to want to hear, including myself. <laughs> but when I listened to Joe's mix, I was like, oh, okay, it was in there somewhere. <laughs> right. Well, that's one thing is that yeah. it, it, like the sound is so, uh, it is so cohesive that it does it, the the whole album. It's it's interesting because things are 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 consumed in a way now that that I feel like me and my friends listen to albums. You know what I mean? But in the real world of people that sure. don't make stuff and aren't waiting to listen to stuff that was made because we're all fans of stuff as well, it almost seems like an antiquated. Uh, thing like hey sit down and get into this whole thing <laughs> you know what i mean right and i think people have the people have the uh idea whether it's erroneous or not that they don't have time to do anything anymore it's like you want to have a conversation it's like i feel like there's always a clock ticking you know with a lot of people you can meet now a lot of interactions we have and that that's kind of the special thing about podcasts is podcasts are an intentional space dedicated to exploring conversation and taking time, no matter how long that time right. may be. And obviously there's still a loose schedule, but you know, everything from text messages to dating, to movie, to selecting movies, to watching shows. It's like, you know, everyone feels like they're to have such a premium of time. And it's, you know, I, I remember growing up because I was in the last twilight before the internet really struck. And it, it, the time hasn't changed. I mean, there's still just a 24 hours in the day. Everyone still has roughly the same amount of responsibilities. But there is this concept that, oh, we don't have time to really commit to anything. Right. And albums, by that, you know, by that standard, certainly become a luxury item. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, were you, were you young enough to come up at a time when, like, you would, you, you would hear a song or someone would play you a record, you would go get it, and then that just kind of became a thing you did every day, sometimes twice a day, for at least, like, a few weeks Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And the, the pace of finding records and the, 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 the monetary constraint, I mean, saving up $20 to get a CD was kind of, um, it, you know, it, was, it sometimes would take one to two months. I mean, I, I wasn't getting new CDs every 
day or every week or I mean, it was like kind of maybe once a month. And, you know, in the small mountain community where I grew up, you know, trading CDs, I mean, I was I was 15 miles outside of the town center and there wasn't public transit there. I didn't have, you know, right, when I was right. young, I didn't have a car and it was kind of like, you know, I mean, you, you might trade a couple at school, but all of us only had, you know, a handful of CDs anyway. And it was all over the place. You know, I might have some old jazz CDs and maybe a couple of punk rock CDs that I had, had found at a thrift store, not even really knowing what they were and just buying them on a whim or just on the cover art or just, you know, on a hope. And then right. my other friend might have a Pantera CD or a, or a Megadeth CD. It's like, you know, so it's kind of this hodgepodge, but you know, so it was that there's a monetary constraint and then there's the time constraint of, you know, when I went to go, like if I wanted to go buy a CD, it was a two hour one way trip. So like four hour round trip to get down to the CD warehouse, which was all the way down in the city. And uh, we had this thing called the rural bus that used to run. And if it would go down once in the morning and once in the evening, if you missed the world bus on the way back up, it was, you know, you were calling your parents and they certainly weren't happy to come pick you up. It only, it only happened to me once, but uh, I also, then they stopped letting me go altogether. <laughs> but, but yeah, finding music was, 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 I mean, it was kind of this quest. It was I mean, a quest. It was very difficult. Very it's, difficult. Yeah. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then did you at the, at the CD warehouse had, was it like a uh, mom and pop enough? for you to have a, a person there that, that you could talk to. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Well, that was the thing, you know, all the people that worked there were music nuts. And that was my first time ever experiencing it, Well, first of all, it was always culture shock leaving our community because it was so small and tight knit. Every time I went to the city, you know, you'd be, it'd be like time travel. You'd be instantly struck by, Oh my gosh, how are people dressing? How are people talking? What are people doing with their hair? Right. Right. What are people eating? <laughs> what, what, what are these new, what are these crazy new movies are, that are out? You know, it was, it was, it was totally insane. And, and no matter what it was, we always were behind the curve because of just the flow of information took longer to get to us. But yeah, the, so, you know, there was like, there were a, a couple kids in my grade, took pity on me and cause I wasn't allowed to listen to any music really. And so they, they took me under their wing and they would, they would usher me into the, uh, the lunchroom, the cafeteria. Uh, and there was a microwave and there was a CD player and they would show me tracks during lunch. And we only had maybe 15 minutes. And, uh, that was the only way that was how I got to hear rock. That was the first time I heard, heard rock music heard punk music heard metal music heard anything from the outside world. And those two guys were kind of music, guys, Brandon and Johnny, man. And, and Brandon ended up lo loaning me his, uh, his, I think it was, I can't remember how many CDs it was, but it was a Smashing Pumpkins box set that kind of changed my life. Oh yeah. yeah, I, mean, yeah. I remember that, the one that came in like a, like a lunchbox thing, like a really cool yeah, packaging. It, yeah. 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 I had that. It was so cool, man. It, it changed my life. And you know, I, it got banned pretty quick when my mom, or I think maybe it was, yeah, it was my mom. You know, it's like, what's this? I felt so guilty. I was it's like, contraband. I, Cause I knew, it, I knew it was forbidden and I, I didn't even know how to explain it. I just, I, I remember the look on my face. It was like, it was like the look of shame you have on, on your face in a dream. It's just pure shame. You can't explain it. You know, you're not going to get out of it. You, you're not even thinking what the ramifications or the punishment's going to be. Right. You just know that you've, you've royally messed up somehow. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, so I had to bring that back. And I, I, I do kind of remember trying to explain you know, to, to Brandon, why I couldn't hang on to it. And I was trying to explain simultaneously that I loved it. And I didn't have the words to describe that it had changed my life. And I, I loved it. And I could spend the rest of my life just listening to it on repeat. And also trying to explain that I had to give it back the very same day. 
you know, my mom had discovered it and, you know, I hadn't discovered yet that you could kind of turn that, that, that refusal, that, that sort of denial into some sort of cool rebellion. I, I just felt still like the whipped kid. And I was like, I just felt, I, I guess I, in some ways I was, I was very used to being denied, you know, things like that. So I think I just sort of slipped back into that role. I, it would be some years before I sort of broke free. When you, but, um, wait, let me quickly ask you. So, I mean, you, you've, you've, uh, it seems like you've purposely forged a life in like show business on, on more than just one level. And, and you deal in like these really like legendary, like you, 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 you put out a record, uh, the, the Juniata, is that how you say that? Or Huniata? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You did that with uh, fucking Steve Cropper. Like one of the, one of the legends of, 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 of music, Joe Ciccarelli, who, who is a legend, like the guy. Oh Yeah that guy's been making records for a long time, like at a super high level that are just amazing. And his work's amazing. And it, it's cool to hear oh. that, that, uh, you know, knowing that there's not some giant label behind it and there's not, you know, uh, a big machine behind it, that he recognized the artistry of Violencia. You know what I mean? And, and was like, Oh wait, I know, I know how to, I know how to shine this the right way. And just like, without any idea of what's going to happen to this record, he just connected with the artistry of it. You know what I mean? Like you've found some real artists to connect with. And so my question is to you, like, is, is this your rebellion from your upbringing is to like get involved with like, I'm sure your parents weren't huge Morrissey fans. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They probably never even heard of him, you know? No, of and- course not. Yeah, I mean, if you fast forward, you know, from those guys, and, and then again, with your previous question, you know, trying to talk to those guys at, 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 at CD Warehouse, you know, about about the music. But, you know, that was also during the time when it was big industry. So, you know, they were busy, like CDs were flying off the shelves. So it was kind of like when you walk into a guitar center, it's like everyone there plays guitar, but trying to talk to one of the workers about right. guitar, right. they don't, it's, kind of, it's, kind of, it's kind of difficult and noisy. These right. are noisy, you know, sort of noisy environments. Right. And uh, so kind of fast forwarding from that moment, you know, uh, I, I think that rebellion came in a quieter way. You know, it, it, I realized that I didn't have to really rebel against my parents. I, I, at some point, I, because I left home early, I realized that I just had always been free. I just had that realization that it, re- it really wasn't my parents doing. I, I was I could always I was always as free as I wanted to be. I could always hear I always had access to things I needed to. And a lot of it was inside was, you know, I mean if you hear one Nirvana song, you know, uh, you, you, you discover a whole world inside yourself that you, you know is a part of you and it's a, has always been there. You don't need to keep listening to that same song to go back to that place in your own life. Right, that's true. Was, uh, so, sorry, was your exit at 16, was it uh, contentious? Was it, was it, were you guys like, was it like one finger in the air leaving or, or was it like, sure, man, go do whatever you want, man, kind of thing. Yeah, I had I had an uneasy truce with my parents, you know, in, in my adolescence because I was the eldest. So I was I was kind of I always had a lot of responsibility. They relied on me a lot, and I took to the role. Uh, I think out of just love for my siblings, certainly uh, love for my parents. Mo- I think mo- most expressly, you know, I, I felt very protective of my mom. I was, you know, my, my mom was my superhero, you know, and but she was also she was the strongest force of humanity I'd ever seen. And to this day, I can't think of, I can 
I'll think of only a few who could maybe keep step with who she was, but she was also very fragile. And so, you know, I, I think that's why I took, I, I really took on a lot of that responsibility sort of willingly and sort of stuck to it. And when I left at 16, you know, I, it had been so troubled for, for a few years. And I just, I think I was outgrowing that role and I was outgrowing the small town and I knew I needed to get out and throw myself into the music world and to art and to writing. And I just, I think really what it was, it, it was, it was kind of a finger in the air to the system, you know, and just, I, I already was dreaming about leaving everything behind and going and living in slab city, just out of my car or just on the ground. I was already, already thinking about saving up and just backpacking Europe or, or, or traveling. You know, I just knew that I, I wasn't going to fit the normal convention of go to school and get a job. I just knew that wasn't going to be my life. Right. Me too. So, yeah. And I think, I think it's coming out more and more that a lot of people felt that way and just didn't do anything about it or couldn't feel felt like they couldn't do anything about it. And, you know, and the people that have done it, you know, I think, I think we, you know, I'd love to swap stories sometime. I mean, we've certainly found out it's not, it's not all glitz and glamour. It's not all adventure. I mean, there's, there's a lot of sort of lean times and there's a lot of seasons of frustration and seasons of disappointment. And there's no, there's no safety net. You know, if you're kind of on your own, which is what you said you wanted, but <laughs> once you get out there, you're like, okay, well, I, I, it's kind of lonely out here sometimes. Yeah. But when I, when I did leave, you know, I was kind of just, I, none of that had occurred to me. Yet, of course, I, I just, I wanted to get out and I wanted just access to the world and I wanted freedom kind of from all the responsibility. I want to get out of that small town. And, you know, a big part of it was I, I really wanted to hear music. I really wanted to, 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 to soak up a more secular world. And, but again, kind of like, like we were saying a moment ago, the rebellion that occurred was, was one that happened internally. You know, I was, re I was rebelling against my own sort of, I, I realized that I had the, I had the, the agency and the authority to, to say how free I wanted to be. Right. And I wasn't going to be dictated by my circumstances. So the rebellion happened just by leaving and by sort of tasting freedom. And it was a little bit, you know, of course I was angry at my parents a little bit, you know, not, not for any of the usual reasons. I think I was just, I, I think they didn't understand me. I think school didn't understand me. I didn't really understand me yet. You know, I, I wrote this in a poem this morning. Uh, I did not know who I was before the storm, but now I am a survivor of the storm. It's like sometimes you can't even place your, yourself in the universe until you have some sort of reference point. And so I think that's all it was. I, 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 might, I might be a little bit guilty of, you know, sort of in a very conventional and, and traditionalist sense of adolescent rebellion. I might have lumped my parents in a little bit with that. But really there was more, there was more impetus of, of exuberance than, than anger or repression. So I, I was just excited to get out and kind of a little bit cautious, you know, I'm, I'm, I've always been a late bloomer having, having been the eldest, I always had to kind of err on the side of caution in a lot of things, not in everything, but a lot of things, but which, which sort of bred sort of a, a contrasting recklessness that would sometimes rear its head. And so I was kind of finding a balance between those and, you know, yeah, it did sort of end up forging a, a, a life in the music industry in, in, in many different ways ways, you know, from teaching music at a camp in the mountains to work with, you know, kind of massive artists on the road and kind of having those artists imbue my own narrative and also teach me a lot about songwriting and, and living as an artist and, and just enriching that experience, not just, not just turning out songs or not just being some, you know, dirtbag, you know, garage musician, which I, I always have been to some extent. So, yeah, I think, I think, uh, I don't know, but you know, I, I, at the same time, you know, I, I feel like I've always just done what I've done. And then 
I, I feel very fortunate that I haven't had to always just think about, I mean, there, there have been times when I've just had to get a job just to survive, of course, but you know, the, the choices I've made in music have always been sort of, okay, this, this will pay, but at the same time, like there's more to gain than just money. You know, there's, there's, there's some artistic lesson right. here. There's some life lesson here. Right. And I feel like in a way I, I've, I've, I've tried, I'm trying to still trying to figure out the free will thing, man. I think like all of us, but at, at, at certain times in the, in the, in the journey, as it pertains to, you know, up till now working in music or, or doing music, I feel like I've sort of been, you know, the opportunities have, have been presented to me. I feel like I've been sort of guided along, maybe not by any external force, maybe, but, but just sort of, you know, I, I haven't, I couldn't have planned to have picked any of these things out or, or known what the right trajectory for me, what might've been not that there's a right or wrong. I mean, if I had ended up working for, you know, Luke Bryan, I mean, maybe I'd be writing country songs. I mean, probably not. Right. Let's face it. But I don't know, maybe there are other forces at work. And I, I think maybe, you know, that this God concept could be as simple or, or as, as intuitive as, you know, vibrational alignment. You know, I mean, you talk about, like, like when you say a word, uh, home, you know, and I hear this word, it, it's an abstraction. It gets filtered through everything that I've ever done or seen or felt or heard. And when enough of that lines up with the things that all the things that have happened to you, your memories, your dreams, your fears, your scars, everything, you and I have a conversation and something clicks. We feel some sort of deep connection, which is something we all strive for. And that, that sort of alignment, that, that sort of vibrational harmony, I mean, you can see it when you look on a spectrograph, you know, when you look at two frequencies, uh, you know, that are in harmony together, you can see kind of them flowing in and amongst themselves Yeah. in a way that we, it's hard to explain why it works, but it, we, we feel it in our physical bones, when, like, you know, and the, the hairs in our arm and the back of our neck rise, you know, with these emotional swellings of, mu- of frequencies, sound yeah, waves, yeah. you know. Yeah air pressure but then also it resonates with us there's some sort of psychosomatic connection where emotionally you know and and where is that boundary line so whatever that was i think you know i I think i've just been in in that flow i've I've been i've been striving with with the current and achieving the stream so to speak and and you know that's why you know i wrote songs that are are maybe compatible or comparable or consistent with some of these artists that I've worked with, but that's also why maybe I met those artists in the first place. I don't know. It's, it's mystical, but I, I am becoming more and more aware of the process and more and more. I've always enjoyed the process. Yeah. I've always been a little super, you know, superstitious and almost odd by and sort of, you know, deferential to the process. But now I'm starting to see that you can kind of involve yourself with the process too, in ways, um, I don't know. I'm just enjoying the process. Yeah. It seems like you are. I have to tell you that there's a a sort of like all of this stuff that you're talking about um, lends itself for me to understand your ability to be free uh, with your artistry because it seems like with your own music, you don't have to... uh, you don't have to lean on it financially. So it doesn't have to go do anything that's not exactly what you want it to do. Does that make sense? It's not commercialized in any way. You don't have to bend it or or put it in any box for anyone for it to be accepted because 
you have found a way to be more free by touring with your brother or or tour managing these bands that you can go uh, fluidly through music as you like without the financial consequence. So therefore, you're able to make this more of an artistic statement that's more free, unencumbered by by the need to recoup this giant you know what i mean yeah and that that has been you know i i sort of guessed at the importance of that early on and then you know have really fought to maintain that you know i think you know i i there have been seasons in my life where whether you know primarily through playing live which i've always been able to do and i've always enjoyed doing and have always I guess seen as necessary to what I do, which, you know, it's funny because it's so different than what you do in a studio. Yeah. You know, they're almost two different brains, but you know, when you're on stage, it's this visceral kind of spiritual moment, at least for me, but then the studio, it's kind of become scientific to an extent. And, you know, I mean, you're surrounded by computers and there's no audience and, <laughs> you know, and right, right. the song is, you got to fight to keep the song the same and, and, and sort of infuse any of that energy Right. Not not that it necessarily even needs to be from live energy, but whatever the soul energy is. But like trying but, uh, to keep not work the magic out of it. And well, exactly. And 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 so I, I kind of, you know, in those days, you know, it, it was very validating as a younger guy to realize that I could make enough to live on by by just music. You know, the first time I had that realization, you know, I was uh, I guess I was twenty two, twenty three. You know, I was playing, you know, 250 plus dates a year and making enough money to be independent and not have any sort of day job. And, you know, those CDs were still selling, so we were selling a lot of CDs. And it was just, it was great. You know, it was so validating. And I think I needed that validation because until you actually walk through that lifestyle, you don't even know that it, you don't even really believe it's possible. You hope it is, but that's different than, than knowing firsthand by experience that it is. Right. When you, when you know that it, when you discover that it is possible, it, 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 it bolsters the art. Not that, not that you needed to believe in that before, but, but you, it does, it just is one more reminder that how valuable it can be. Yeah. You know, when we, when we moved out to Nashville, we went out to Albanetta, who was John Prine's manager. He took us under his wing. We went out to see his farm, you know, out in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And it was this beautiful, sprawling mansion grounds with, you know, he had a, brilliant barn garage full of like, you know, 20 classic sports cars. And it's just a, a brilliant place. It was truly palatial. And to realize that he had done that off of music and he was always very honest with us. That he, you know, he'd say, Hey, you know, we never had radio. No one ever, you know, back in the day, no one even thought John Pine was any good. No one would play him. No one liked him. Been selling tickets, couldn't sell anything. And, and it's funny to look back now because it's John Pine, you know, right, but right. back there was, there was a time when, this guy Al was the only guy who kind of believed in him, and, right. and you know they were they were true cowboys. You know they really they went out and made their own record label, and they they were kind of guerrilla gangsters when it came to just taking on the music industry at the time, yeah. which hadn't been done yet. You know now it's been done over and over again. I mean everyone's doing it on Instagram, but right. you know it hadn't been done back then, and so it really was a, a stroke of courage and a stroke of sort of creative brilliance. But to see that, we we're kind of I was just like, wow. And then to see it in my own life in a much smaller scale. But yeah, I mean, at some point I realized that, you know, it, it is shaping the process because you're, you're either trying to write or trying to create to your previous sort of threshold or you're trying to 
attain to the next logical threshold. In a theoretical analogy of our mining friend, you know, all of a sudden, instead of just following your curiosity and reading the mountain, you're, you're sort of really just trying to squeeze all the gold and ore and iron. And, oh, look, now there's silver out of just one sort of vein, out of just sort of one area of the mountain, out of one shaft. And you're working very hard, much, much harder and harder to do so, and you're digging deeper and deeper in just sort of one way. And, you know, it's just like professional bowlers. You know, you have really huge muscles on only one arm. And that's fine if you're a professional bowler, but if you just love the game or if you just love being active and love playing any sort of recreation, you know, that's not really going to serve you. So I kind of realized that, you know, it wasn't, that's not really what I wanted to do. That's not really what I was meant to do. That's not really why I got into it or what I enjoyed about it at all. And I, I knew that there was more to discover. And so I kind of set myself free from that, from that lifestyle. And I, I turned away from commercial songwriting. I turned away from, you know, playing live all the time just to make money, taking any sort of gig. And not, not that it had ever been, you know, it wasn't like I was turning down millions of dollars, but I did sort of walk away and, it, but it aligned with other things. You know, there were other, you know, that sort of guiding print, that guiding gravity, you know, other things in my life had sort of, sort of coalesced in that same way. I mean, my brother and his wife were having their first kids. So he and I had a band together and that was taking him in a different direction now. And it meant relocating back to the West coast. And my heart has always been sort of in the Southeast. And, uh, you know, just, and then, uh, you know, Al died. He was a big mentor to me. My mom died. You know, there's a lot of things that just sort of were pushing me just to another, another view of the mountain. Yeah. And so then I, I, I quite literally took to the mountains and disappeared for, for a number of years and then, uh, got back into it sort of peripherally kind of coming at it from a side angle. You know, I didn't know anything about tour managing or road managing or being on the, on the road in any sense other than just as a bohemian and as a musician with my brother kind of as a busker, you know, well, starting off as a busker. It seems like you developed the skills being the big brother and making sure that everybody was taken care. You know what I mean? Like when you said that. Well, earlier, yeah, that's a great insight, man. Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. That's the only reason it connected. That's the only reason I was able to stay on. I mean, all of the, the years growing up taking care of my mom, who was kind of the first rock star that I ever sort of looked after. And then my siblings, I mean, it really, it's like, it's like taking care of, you know, a principal artist in their band. It's, yeah. You know, it's like a bunch of toddlers <laughs> and, a, and a crazy, brilliant person. That's <laughs> exactly what it's like, it's dude. The same thing, yeah. Yeah. Developed those skills early, didn't you? So when you I say, guess so, yeah. real quick, I don't, I don't want to, I, there's, this is a little fascinating to me is, is when you say you disappeared to the mountains for a few years, what did that look like? Like what, what did you do? What was your life at that point? Well, things had fallen apart, you know, with my brother and I, you know, LA was as terrible a fit as Nashville had been such a, a blessing of a fit. And so we kind of just, you know, I was living in a garage. There was 20 of us living in just this one property. You know, it was, it was me, my brother's wife, their little baby, my, my, my nephew, uh, her family, some of my family. It was just like, it was this big kind of com compound and it was, it just wasn't sustainable. And like, none of us had any money. Nothing was happening with the music. You know, my brother and I were so frustrated. And so being so close, I think we kind of just took it out on each other and ourselves. Yeah. And, uh, so I was just kind of like, man, I don't know. I started looking for, for other jobs for the first time in God, maybe six, five, six, seven years. And, uh, I wanted to try to do something with music still, but you know, I had only, I'd gotten so used, you know, how you just get into a, into a groove of your own life and you, you get so used to seeing yourself as one person. Right. 
And I was like, well, okay. I mean, all I know how to do is play these little shows and kind of hustle and make the money and play farmer's markets and throw in a couple covers here and there and play happy hours on patios with an acoustic and a banjo. You know, that's what I've been doing. And there had been, you know, when we've been based in the Southeast, it had been uh, slightly more elevated. I mean, we were on festivals, we were opening great shows. We were, you know, it, right. it had landed better, but when we back out West, it just, it didn't have the same momentum. Right. So I was looking around, I was like, well, what can I do with music? And I was just on Craigslist, you know, back when Craigslist was really going strong. And uh, it was, it was kind of late spring. And so there are all these camps that were hiring and uh, you know, a lot of these camps had music programs and uh, it was kind of right. It was kind of before the big boom of electronic music and, and rap, you know, rock was still kind of King and guitar center and, you know, bands, you know, that was still all pretty, pretty big stuff. You know, it was about to go away, you know, sort of like maybe five, six, seven years later, but there, you know, all these camps had music programs that was still cool. You know, now it's like, music production or, you know, now it's changed a lot. You know, right. now it's like about, you know, it's all about Ableton and Pro Tools. It's different. Right. Creating beats, that sort of thing. But back then it was like, you know, a lot of these places and, you know, a lot of schools to this day don't have arts programs. So a lot of, it was a big draw for parents to send their kids away during the summer and get kind of the <laughs> makeup for all the lost art that they hadn't had in school. Right. And um, so I kind of just was applying to those. I was applying to all the, all these different types of things, you know, and I mean, it's Craigslist, you know, you can use your imagination. There's, like, there's everything from kind of legit stuff to, to just total scams. But I ended up getting a, an interview with this one and kind of by the end of it, I was like, Oh, I, I think they, I think I might've just gotten a job. And I had to look, I, I had applied to so many and my, my brain was just in a different place. I didn't even know where it was. I didn't even realize that it was a residential camp program. So, and I, I, what I should have done is just been like, oh, hey, sorry, I didn't even realize that I had to go and like live there <laughs> for the summer. And, uh, you know, and, and it's, not even ne- it's not even near where I live at, at the moment. I should have just turned it down and been like, looked around for something local. But I, I think I was just so desperate hmm. for a change of scene that I just took it. And the first night I was like, what have I done? You know, <laughs> it was right, like right. all these crazy people from all over the kids from Australia and all over the world. And, and, you know, acting all goofy. And I was like, and I never got to a summer camp as a, as a kid, you know, certainly not. And, you know, summer was when we had the biggest chores to do at the house, like painting the house, tilling the, filling the, the acreage, whatever. Right. You know? And so like, I kind of dreaded summer and I didn't know what to expect. I'd never had fun as a kid. I mean, obviously I had, but like, I'd never been goofy. I'd never been silly. That just wasn't, that wasn't our family. And, uh, so I went up there and, and I was going to leave after the first day and this guy from Ireland, who is still a friend, he, he kind of was like, Hey, you know, just, just get through the training process. You know, when, the, when all the kids get up here and you, and you kind of get into what you're going to do, which is teaching music, uh, you know, it's all going to make sense. Just get there. Get, just hang on till then. You know, I know it's, it's, it's stupid. I was like, all right. So I did had nothing else to do, nothing else to lose. And he was right when the kids showed up and I, and they got in there and I just, it, it kind of it kind of re-inspired and reignited a love of music, you know, over the next few years. And I just I ended up staying year round and, and teaching in their outdoor education program for a lot of like underserved kids that would come up on grant and had never even seen a tree before. I mean, it was it's totally extreme. I mean, I had the, I had this one kid uh, from I think some inner city neighborhood in, in L.A. East L.A. and we were just sitting in this clearing on this nature hike. You know, this is after I'd been there for a few years and he asked, or I, I think the conversation came up. Uh, did I lose you, Johnny? No, I'm here. I'm here. 
Sorry. Oh, and 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 the conversation came up about you know about food and where it came from, and uh, it, he he didn't even know that milk came from a cow. He thought it, I saw, I said, where does it come from? He's like the store. I was like, yeah, but what is the story? He's like, I don't know, a lab. And I was like, it comes out of an animal. It's called a cow. <laughs> so, but all, the, all that time I was writing and I was writing a lot of poetry and I was writing a lot of music and I was performing at just at this local coffee shop up there. And, and like, and this is like another tiny mountain town, kind of like the one where I grew up. And I ended up, you know, thinking I was going to leave. I think I, I thought I was going to stay for one summer. The first time I thought I was definitely going to leave after one day. And I ended up staying for five years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And it was remote, man. I mean, like this is a, this is a town that has one stop sign exactly like the town where I grew up and, you know, you're kind of far from anything and, but it's beautiful. You know, I was also discovering nature again and it was kind of what I needed after just, you know, those five years sort of at the grindstone. Definitely. Were you, uh, did you, did it, did there come to, uh, did a point come where you started like, uh, not jonesing for it, but like getting that itch to want to, go make stuff again on a deeper level or not deeper level, but you know, put sure. more into it. Um, a little bit, you know, I had this, I had this kind of fantasy dream of moving back to Nashville, but I, I wasn't serious. I was so comfortable up there. I mean, I was rock climbing all the time. I was fly fishing. I was just hanging out in nature. I had it for the first time in my entire life. I was surrounded by really functional, nice, kind people that were not from the small meth town where I grew up or were not, you know, sort of, industry, just douchebags and assholes and wannabes, you know, for the first time ever, I was hanging out with like a whole different set of people that I didn't even know existed on the same planet. Right. And, but I had this dream about, you know, cause I had a couple songs that people were, you know, I was, I was like, I wasn't a big fish in a small pond. I was the only fish in the pond. And people were like, Oh, these songs that you can, re you can sing. And I, you know, I've never thought of myself as a singer, you know, and when Steve Proper here at RCA told me he liked my voice and thought I was a great singer, I, I was like, I thought he was talking about somebody else. I didn't even register. But That's amazing. I, I kind of had this vague dream of like, oh, one day I'll leave camp. But I, you know, I don't think I ever would have left camp. It, it took the <laughs> it, it 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 took physically going to play it at Albanetta's memorial um, to finally and like to get offered a job in the Morsi camp and to right. and to be given the blessing to go do it from the camp people. You know, to their credit, mere weeks before camp was going to start again, a new session. That, that's what it took. I mean, it was kind of an extreme move. I don't think I ever would have left. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Do Maybe you shouldn't have. <laughs> no, man, I got to tell you these, uh, your musical offerings are inspiring. Like it's this, uh, Thanks, especially Charlie. this record has been so inspiring to me over the last, like whatever month and a half since I've been listening to it. Um, do you still do any Thank tour you. managing? Are you still, is that still part of your thing at all? No, I'm completely out. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're, you're, you're never farther from your dream than when you're standing right next to it is something I like to remind myself. You know, I realized that at some point, you know, in, in the, at some point in that, on that trajectory, I was kind of, again, I, I was at this time I kind of was aware of it, though. I was losing the, the joy and love of playing. I wasn't take, I wasn't taking any time or making any time to play simply because all of those, those energetic resources were being used up elsewhere. Right. And I was having a time in my life, you know, I was, I was going through the grieving process, but I was able to kind of sort of put it on hold and just travel the world and have an adventure as a young single guy. And, you know, and, and 
the, the early years, you know, in the Morrissey tour, I mean, it was going to some uh, pretty exotic places, you know I mean? Like Jakarta, yeah. you know, all through South America, Japan. I mean, it was going to some amazing places I never probably would have seen otherwise. So it wasn't high on the priority list. And I, I was also kind of somewhat aware that I was absorbing and soaking up all of this amazing art and this, this, this artistic ideology that was just, I mean, those guys are all brilliant, you know, and, you know, certainly Morrissey himself. I mean, he taught me so much about music and about poetry and about music history and about traveling and about just living as an artist, which I'd never really, I'd always viewed the art as just being, that's when you're an artist and the rest of the time you're just sort of normal. But I mean, he, he is an artist all the time. Yeah. And I realized that that's kind of what it takes. And so, and then to say, you know, and, and when I was with Lucinda Williams, you know, I mean, she really took under a wing, was a mentor to me regarding poetry, regarding, I mean, her and I have, you know, uh, you know, she is someone that uh, kind of made the blues accessible to me. You know, I, I never understood the blues and never really felt invited to understand the blues. Right. But knew an invitation was probably requisite. And she, you know, she taught me so much about, I mean, the times that, you know, she and I have been up talking, you know, drinking wine, you know, and she's been introducing me to Southern Gothic poets and writers and, and a lot of it sort of personally anecdotal, you know, with her, her story. And then, you know, even Jason Isbell, you know, he's, he's such a, a consummate performer, writer, guitar player, uh, singer, you know, it's yeah. kind of all there and kind of getting to see kind of full circle, you know, like being like working with him over the lockdown, you know, the first half of the lockdown and seeing his kind of farm set up and how similar it was to Albanetta's and the John Prine camp, you know, kind of full circle of like, Oh yeah you know, this is what it takes to sort of be a professional and to be successful. This is how it can look. Yeah. And you see, you know, he's such an administrator. Like there's so much admi administration that has to happen, you know, when you're sort of just at, at the helm of your own life in that regard. Yeah. When you wear a lot of hats and you have, and you're really just trying and you're leveraging a, a, a just a, a, the nuts and bolts of a career. So yeah. it was interesting to see. And I, I, from each, each of those people and all the other ones I've worked with too, the little fill-ins, little things and you know, I picked up, I picked up something along the way with each, but, and it's informed everything about how I live and how I write and how I play, how I, how I look at myself and, and look at the industry, which has been crucial. I mean, it's been, you know, they, it's been sort of angelic in a way, but at the same time, you know, I did realize that I've gotten, I've gotten better at, at identifying that, okay, there is only so much energy and, and emotion and inspiration you can pour into anything. And if you're not doing it for yourself, you're doing it for some other artists, you know, it's, it's, it's not, ever going to happen. Right. You're not ever going to get to do it. It's not like you do it that nine to five and then from five to nine, you're, it's like it's, when you're back by yourself, there's nothing left and you don't have any urge or impetus. Right. So I, I, I knew this time around to kind of identify that. And when COVID happened, um, I mean, again, I, I would probably be, and I hate, I, you know, this, it, it makes me sound like sort of, I've taken a passive approach or I haven't had any, any agency or any motivation in my own life. But, and I, I do go with the flow, but like, man, it, it took COVID again to kind of reset me like it did for a lot of people. And I just never went back, you know, I never went back to, to tour managing. And I just, you know, it is, I, I had always dealt with the stress by thinking it wasn't really that stressful because I think like you so correctly ascertained, you know, I was so used to that stress from growing up and, and right. from the responsibility of that and everything I've done camp, you know, there's a lot of responsibility. I, I just, but I realized that, yeah, that there was a lot of stress there and that was also taking a lot of energy. And so when I left it behind my, my life and brain, artistic brain just opened up and I saw a whole, I saw the life that I was always, 
I always knew I needed to live. I always knew I, I was supposed to live. I know always knew I could live. And I feel like it took all that just for me to get to the starting line. And I, I you know, instead of, I, I think, you know, I meet not older artists, but I meet a lot of artists that are lifers, you know, that are, and, and it's, it's kind of like a lot of them can get sort of frustrated or even embittered, you know, to be starting so late or not that we're ever starting or more like starting again. Yes. But I'm just so grateful that I made it to the starting line at all. And I'm grateful that I get to live a life where all I have to do is art. And you know, the, 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 the subtle struggle and balance of making ends meet just so you can do art and it doesn't have to be a commercial endeavor. I mean, it's kind of a fun little puzzle. It's not, it's not too difficult to figure out. I mean, there are moments where it's more difficult than others. Yes. You know, and you got to be good at balancing the budget. You have to live sort of frugally, you know, but, but I mean, it's all, it's all in, in, in the service of what you know you have to do for your art. So at the end of the day, it's kind of ennobling, yeah. you know, and you know, to be my agent to not have health insurance and to not have, you know, a steady flow of income. It's like, you know, yeah, it could be scary. I'm in the same boat. Be, yeah. 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 It can be scary or, but I just choose to look at it as like every day there's a little puzzle to figure out. I've done it this long. I, I can keep doing it. Yeah. And you know, I just, I, I have to, I have to just live on that faith. I mean, there's no alternative anymore and I'm never, you know, leaving the tour. I just felt like it had run its course, you know, being a tour manager and, and not being an artist. And now sure. it's time to just embark on, on, it's, it's time to embark on the, on, on the life, the adventure that I always knew I was born to live. Yeah. And you're living it. And yeah. I feel like I've finally gone through, you know, I left school so early. And even when I was in elementary school and middle school, I was never sort of emotionally or mentally present. I was always a kid sitting in the back and the teacher would give a, a, a special book to just to keep them occupied, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That happened multiple, multiple <laughs> times, multiple times growing up and, and thank God for those teachers. Right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, you know, growing up in public school or whatever, it's just like, you're not there to learn. You're there to be babysat. And you're there to be groomed to take over a cubicle in society. And that just yeah. didn't fit. So, you know, I'm just, I don't know, being able to live for art. I mean, there's not a formula to that. You know, no one can tell you how to do that, what's going to work for you, but you have to figure it out. But at the same time, artists have been doing that since the beginning. These are people that have to remove themselves to have that perspective of art, oftentimes reflecting about humanity and about our society. Correct. It's, 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 it's so vital. And I think it's, 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 it's more vital now than, than so many times in the past, you know, as we become so more and more computerized, more and more isolated by technology. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do it even though, yeah, it's, it's, it's a daily puzzle and, and uh, you know, certainly shout out to your hustle and, and to, to your balance of struggle as well. Yeah. Hey, let awesome, me ask you a question. Man. Your brother is L.A. Edwards. That's his name, right? Yeah. So he plays yeah, under. That's are his, you, that's when you guys under. go on tour, are you coming to Austin at all? Man, so uh, post-COVID, he, he kind of got a foothold uh, in Europe. And so he only tours in Europe now. Oh, like wow. 98% of the time. I mean, I've, this will be the fourth time I've been to Europe in a year. Wow. So... But dude, anytime I'm in Austin, I'm gonna I'm gonna look you up. And actually, right. I would love to send you if you want. I'd love to send you a vinyl because they just came in a violin. If, if I would mind. love that. You you know Gus Manzur down there? No. He he, he played Morrissey's band for a long time. Uh, but he uh, he lives down in Austin. I, I just sent him one. I I should have uh, should have totally thought to. Do, do I have your mailing address? Um, no, but I'll send it to you. 
Okay, yeah, please do. I'd, I'd love to send you a bottle. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so, I love that. You know, Thank the, you. Well, yeah. the board mix of the record, like, I hope no one ever has to hear the board mix because it is sort of underwhelming. But then Joe Ciccarelli's mix is like insane, and then the mastered version, it's like okay, the mastered version's insane. But then the the vinyl, like I'm hearing it like I'm hearing the record again for the like I think it was always meant to be on vinyl. I know sometimes people say that, but dude, I didn't even recognize it again. I put it on vinyl. I was like, oh, it's even louder. It's even quieter. It's even sweeter. It's even more punk rock. I couldn't I couldn't believe it on vinyl. In fact, I I, I might even have to listen to it again after this conversation. I'm not someone who listens to my own music that often, but when the vinyl came in and I put it on, I just, I almost couldn't believe it. I thought maybe something had happened at the vinyl plant. I was like, has it been redone again? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'd be, I'd be, I'd love to hear what you think about yeah, it. Yeah, man, definitely. Please send, I'll send you my, my address. And, um, Hell this, yeah. this will be coming out. Uh, you'll already have played in, uh, in uh in portland but when you when you're oh, doing cool. that show are you doing it like how what what's your band when you do that well so uh, like during COVID, i also met uh my band here and they basically uh there was i was i'm not one of these guys that like jams just i never really learned to jam mm-hmm. um you know i'm just kind of a writer but um i was working with this guy uh at a photo shoot for amanda shires who's jason isbell's wife up in Swanee out in the country here. We got to talking and he's like, Oh man, you want to jam sometime? And it was just the way he was, you know, he was so sort of, uh, disarming and just sort of accessible. And it had been COVID and I was like, I hadn't done any music in a while. I was like, well, I was like, okay, I guess anything ever opens up. So I went out with, on tour with Jason, uh, filling in as, uh, doing some TM stuff with him. And Jason was one of the, the most stringent COVID, uh, tours out there. So he was one of the ones to get back out there as things were opening up. And I mean, it was like, everyone had to get tested. Locals a, had to get tested. Everyone's in masks. I actually have a great, thing. I have a great story about that. Were you, Whoa. were you okay. here? Were you here for the, uh, for the Moody center, the, the Moody theater shows? I was. Okay. My band skyrocket was playing downstairs both nights oh, at cool. 310 like the same venue but the smaller yeah, room yeah. downstairs okay so the line wow. but you guys you guys had i mean this like that show and all that shit was on cnn and stuff when i got home that night um yeah 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 you guys at, at a pretty pretty not 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 with a lot of of runway had decided to to make it like hey you got to have your proof of of vaccination right Right. Or a recent COVID test or something. And we didn't. But half of our crowd left because <laughs> the lines are in the same place. And all they heard was people going like, oh, yeah, no, you got to have your COVID thing. So we had a sold out show right. with like 60 percent attendance. Wow. It was pretty weird. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Is, that is totally <laughs> it was so insane. weird. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I, I'm so sorry to hear that. That, no, no, that no, was such okay. a weird time. It, it was such a weird time, and we were. It was like everyone was building the plane as it was flying on all levels. Like nobody knew what this fucking thing was. So one day you're wiping down your bananas with bleach, and then the next day mm-hmm. you don't have to. And you know what I mean? And like all that stuff. Oh what God. everyone was just doing the very best that they can. Right, and and the conversation that I would, you know, Jason and I had multiple times, and. Also, with his full-time TM, uh, who I was filling in for 
at the time. Um, it's like, do we even go out? You know, and there were so many shows. It's like, okay, it, it would cancel last minute just because, or it would be sold out, but only like half the people would show up. And right. then like, oh, this is required. This isn't required. And Jason was the strictest one I can think of. I mean, he was having everybody tested, vaccinated, the whole thing. But on that, on the on the run I'm speaking about, three shows in, he got COVID. Oh, really? After after doing all that, right, right. Yeah, three shows in of what was supposed to be like a three week run or something. Well, that so was, I, so I, I, I thought, oh, go ahead. Sorry, that was summer 2021, right? Uh, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I found myself back in, or for me, maybe it was, is that right? Maybe it was, man, it might've been. Cause that, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Cause it was like, yeah, it was, it, it was once everybody had gotten vaccinated. Cause I had played a show at three ten in like June and no one was wearing masks. Everyone was hugging, but then they had the, uh, whatever mm-hmm. that second thing was the second version right. of it. I can't remember the name of it. Right. That, I think that's what it was. That happened. And so I found myself back home, basically, yeah. and I called. I called that guy up. I was like, "Hey, you know, I'm just back home. There's literally nothing to do. You want to just come over and play?" And he was like, "Yeah." And can my friends come? And uh, I said, "Yeah, the more the merrier." Whatever. Thinking it wasn't going to be a big deal, and those guys have been my band ever since. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's it's just. I mean, it's it's, it's hallmark cheesy as it is. It's like. The one time I say yes to the to the thing that I wouldn't normally say yes to, right. not not that I'm like I just I just I don't I don't I've never felt comfortable jamming and just sitting in a room. I mean I've gotten better about it now, but like, yeah, and that I just it's it's funny what can happen when you just open yourself up and kind of catch yourself off guard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude, that's uh that's great. I wish I could see you guys. I hope that uh, I hope that someday I'm able to and uh, definitely Same. stay in touch with me and. Uh, and whenever you're in town, we gotta we gotta get together, sit down and have a chat. Yeah. Person. I uh, yeah. Do you ever make it up to Nashville? Or? I do, and when I do, I will definitely let you know. I haven't been there yeah, in a while and, since the pandemic. Oh yeah. Well, anytime you're up here, you know, I've got I've got that spare room. You're always welcome to crash there and and or just hang. I'd, I'd love to see. You. And I'll definitely, you know, I was getting down to Austin kind of frequently for a minute. You know, playing the Saxon Pub. Oh yeah, and I was getting I was getting down like every few months, and then I just haven't been back down. But I think uh, I think in the new year I'll be back down there. So yeah, I'll, yeah, I'd be a pleasure to meet you in person, man. Yeah, and I'll definitely send you my address when we get off the uh, off the combo, uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing that record on vinyl. Thanks Hell for doing yeah. the Thank show again, listening. man. And uh, I'm really glad it sounds really good. So I'll definitely put it out in the next couple of weeks. It's great talking oh, to you man, again. You're the best. Thanks, Johnny, man. Thank you. Yeah, man. Great talking to you again. As always, man. Hey, enjoy the rest of the uh, day and the rest of the week. You too, my man. Talk to you soon, Jesse. Bye, Johnny. I'm so happy I think I might cry. Gang, that was Jesse Daniel Edwards. I want to thank him for doing the show twice. It was great talking to him both times. I'm glad that you guys all got to hear that one. Obviously, if you got to this part, you're at the end of the thing and you listen to it all the way through. My new friend, Jesse Daniel Edwards, go check out his record, Violencia, right now on Cavity Search Records, produced by the great legendary Joe Ciccarelli. He also has a bunch of other music, but get out to jessedanieledwards.net. I want to thank him for the vinyl once again. Really nice, great sounding record on vinyl. If you get vinyl, if you do vinyl, 
check out Violencia on Vinyl. Do that. And hey, gang, while you're out there checking out jessedanieledwards.net, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you find podcasts, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Podcasts, anywhere you find podcasts every Tuesday and every Friday. We got new shows for you. Sometimes on Saturdays, we drop from the vault episodes as we are in the 1300s of our episodes in the 12th year of putting out shows. So we have a bunch in the vault. We release some of our spectacular shows. Get out there and check them out. The last 100 episodes are available wherever it is that you stream podcasts. Go back through, check it out, see who we've talked to, see if there's anyone you're a fan of. His Golden Messenger. Are you a fan of His Golden Messenger? Are you a fan of Living Color? I had Doug Wimbish on. <laughs> I'm like naming people. Anyway, just go through. It's exciting. It's fun. Uh, I love doing the podcast. I want to thank Jesse Daniel Edwards for being part of it. Get out there and check out his brilliant record, uh, Violencia, available wherever you stream and download music. And hey, gang, don't forget, tomorrow night, Skyrocket. If you live in San Antonio, come out to Sam's Burger Joint, Saturday, October 14th. Wish me a happy birthday out there, will you? Come on, it's my birthday. Have a great weekend, whatever it is you're doing. Let's get down. Never forget they're just dust collectors At the end of every day And the truth is I lied When I said I'd be fine I'm so happy I think I might cry I've got a good coat for my chills And a good girl for my thrills and a very good excuse for my ills And I've got almost too much time on my hands to kill The truth is I lied when I said I was fine I'm so happy I think I might die I'm so 